everyone, welcome back to the second season of the Kotofana Anatomy podcast and um, this season will be focusing on a deep dive into the face, like low introductions into the different facial concepts. So in the last episode we talked about facial aging and the topic of this one is a little bit different because... Um, I choose a topic that I think is of interest. It will play a very important role in the future. And this is why I choose the topic facial biomechanics for this episode. And I have Pete with me. Hi, Pete. Hey, Sebastian. And Pete, right away, my first question to you. If someone tells you I'm investigating facial biomechanics, what would you associate with that? My best guess would be the interactions between the muscles, the bone, the tendons, and, and how it all works in conjunction. Not entirely sure. But that already is the definition of facial biomechanics, which is actually very, very amazing. Honestly, good job. Um, yeah, I mean, facial biomechanics is actually nothing else than the knowledge about how the facial soft tissues move. And normally when you think about biomechanics, it's the movement of living tissue. And this in a face is kind of how the facial soft tissues move. This is kind of like what facial biomechanics is. But if you continue with the definition of understanding facial biomechanics, it's the movement of the facial soft tissues during facial expression, but also during facial aging. Because... What facial biomechanics tries to comprise is the movement of facial soft tissues under normal conditions and under pathologic conditions. So that means how the soft tissues move, how they change, how they behave during the process of aging. Not like we discussed in the last episode what the components of facial aging are and what they do and how they reflect on us, but what are the true effects of facial aging. And these two things, facial expressions and facial aging, these two things contribute to the movement of the face. And this is what facial biomechanics is trying to capture. And um, a recent paper summarized facial biomechanics together into a bigger concept to try to explain facial aging. Because when we understand what happens during facial aging, it's easy to treat with knowledge because we understand the why and one of the basic and universal laws is actually gravity i mean amongst many others right pete i mean facial gravity aging that's one component and the other universal laws i mean i'm not sure do you think they would apply to the face as well gravity is a pretty universal constant yes <laughs> it does and it pulls the facial soft tissues downwards south so that means because gravity affects as a universal law the facial soft tissues we start to develop nasolabial folds because the fat compartment that is located above the nasolabial fold that is the superficial nasolabial fat compartment that fat compartment can move because it's a superficial fat compartment and then gravity just 
takes it and pulls it down. It pulls it over the nasolabial fold. And this is what creates the impression that the nasolabial fold becomes deeper and deeper and the severity increases. But it's not because of a ligament or because of the nasolabial fold itself. It's because of the fat compartment that's lying superficial, kind of more cranial to that respective nasolabial fold. And the same thing happens also for jaws. Normally, when all of the facial soft tissues are suspended to the middle and to the upper face, there is no jaws deformity. But because the suspension is absent, gravity can do its effect and can pull everything downwards. And because gravity affects all of these things, this is why we have so many lifting or repositioning procedures. I mean, it started with the facelift. Now we do have facial suspension threats. And just recently also, facial repositioning effects were described with soft tissue fillers, for instance, with the temporal lifting technique. And just this year, actually, a paper was published, which shows that the facial soft tissues can be repositioned with toxins, with neuromodulators, with a substance that blocks the muscles, and which is, by the way, the strongest poison that we have on this planet. All of this can help to reposition the facial soft tissues. And this is what actually facial biomechanics does. It tries to explain how these things work together. And again, facial biomechanics, the knowledge about facial movements, both during facial expression and both during aging. And I will choose an example and explain one example from each of these categories. For instance, how do facial soft tissues move during facial expression? For instance, we know that, for instance, when we smile, zygomaticus major muscle contracts. And zygomaticus major muscle has on its underside a septum, which is called the transverse facial septum. And this septum forms the inferior boundary of the superficial end of the deep midfacial fat compartments. So what happens is, when we smile, we contract the zygomaticus major muscle, by this, we tense the transverse facial septum, and by applying tension and inducing a conformational change in the transverse facial septum, all of the midfacial fat compartments are being pushed upwards. And this is what clinically is visible as a sudden volume increase in the upper midface during smiling. We sometimes call these the apple cheeks, which I'm, I'm sure, Pete, you've seen those, right? When people smile, they start to have apple cheeks. Oh, yeah, and you can definitely see it most in, like, little kids. They have the, the big, full cheeks. Yes, exactly, especially in little kids when their bony fundament is not very well developed because that will grow over time, and all of the overlying facial soft tissues are filled with volume, be it fluid or be it lymphatic fluid or be it fat or be it muscular volume. All of this is already full and developed there within the soft tissues but the underlying bone is undeveloped. So this is why kind of the, there's a disproportion between the underlying table and the table cloth. And then when we smile, we put pressure on all of these soft tissues and then sudden volume increase happens in the upper mid-face. And this is just because of the concept of facial biomechanics, how a muscle can increase volume. And I think this is really... Um, important and crucial to understand when it comes to how to understand facial biomechanics. Now, this is one of the examples that I would like to present to you, which happen during normal facial expression. But what happens during facial aging? For instance, 
during facial aging, which majorly affects the lateral side of the face, not the medial side of the face, because lateral and lateral to line of ligament, we do have parallel layers of facial soft tissues. And these parallel layers, because they are parallel layers, they can glide against each other. And when they can glide, gravity can pull them downwards. And when gravity pulls on the soft tissues, on the parallel arranged soft tissues of the lateral face, the major resulting feature is jolts. And jolts happen only posterior to the mandibular ligament. And this is exactly where we have parallel layers. And this is where gravity kind of can influence an age-related facial appearance because it can just affect the lateral soft tissues and pulling them downwards. So this is one example of how facial biomechanics are being influenced by aging. For instance, another example is the position of the eyebrow. When we're young, the position of the eyebrow is fairly high, it's normally positioned. We do not see anything wrong with the position of the eyebrow, but at higher age, we know that the calvaria loses its volume. The shape of the frontal bone in males start to look more like the one in females, and the overall, the longitudinal and the transverse diameter of the neurocranium is reducing in size. All of this results that the facial soft tissues, including those on the forehead, are more lax, and then they glide downwards, being pulled downwards by gravity. So what happens with the position of the eyebrows? The position of the eyebrows is suddenly lower and lower than it would be in younger individuals. But now here comes the thing. The eyebrows have no connection to the bone and the eyebrows are at the balance between elevators and depressors. And one of the depressors is orbicularis oculi. And this muscle can pull the eyebrows downwards, but this also muscle is connected to the tarsal plate. If we're speaking about the upper eyelid, it would be the superior tarsal plate. So that means the tarsal plate is connected via the orbicularis oculi to the eyebrows. But what happens now if the eyebrows are moving downwards during the process of facial aging? Well, then also the upper eyelid is slightly moving downwards. And this is why people have at baseline, well, not everybody, but some develop a baseline resting tone of the upper eyelid, which is lower. We call this just an upper eyelid ptosis, which is normal and at rest, but not because the patient is always tired or because the patient is angry or because um, something is wrong with the muscles. No, it's just because the eyebrow is lower and the orbicularis can not suspend sufficiently the upper eyelid and everything moves downwards. So if we understand this relationship, this chain reaction, that frontal soft tissues move caudally, the eyebrow, hairy eyebrow moves caudally, and this is also what results in the movement caudally of the upper eyelid, then we can understand that this is a crucial point to assess in patients before treating with neuromodulators the forehead or before treating the periorbital area for um, lateral contour line treatment, for crossfit treatment with neuromodulators. So all of this needs to be combined and put together into perspective what facial biomechanics actually mean, what facial biomechanics, how they influence treatment strategy and treatment outcome. But to understand this, we always need to 
think a step further think a step ahead trying to understand the why and um here comes the other component that um our research group introduced and that was the fourth dimension i know pete now you might look at me like what is he crazy the fourth dimension we just kind of started to understand the third three dimensions but the first and the second is kind of median lateral dimension they're all in a in the same plane, up and down, left and right, and the third dimension gives depth to it, kind of like how deep is a structure, let's say, below the skin. And now the fourth dimension is the factor time. The factor time, how structures, the three-dimensional structures, how they move within the context of time. For instance, during facial expression, there's a baseline facial expression resting tone, and there is a tone of the facial soft tissues during smiling. So that means the same three-dimensional soft tissues, they change their position just because of the factor of time, just because later on the position of the facial soft tissues is different. And of course, when we think about facial aging, the same concept applies. Adding the factor of time results in changes of the three-dimensional soft tissues. So this is why facial biomechanics and the fourth dimension are highly interconnected and understanding them is what allows us to understand the why behind many many concepts that can affect the face and that influence the treatment and the individualized treatment of the face and the facial soft tissues but um pete do you think Researchers these days, they overdo it. Do you think they make things more complicated by introducing facial biomechanics, introducing the fourth dimension? Do you think they just got bored and now they're trying to find something else? Or do you think it's really useful? It's kind of, it really helps to understand. It helps to decode the face. What do you think about that? In listening to you break all of that down, one of the things that I wanted to ask in all of this is in the the previous episode, you mentioned that with facial aging, major contributing factors are race, ethnicity, you know, uh, genetics. But you said that the muscles of the face don't age. So in the aging process and jowls and lines and wrinkles appearing, over that time, could a person who's more facially expressive cause more aging than not? Like somebody who's super smiley or always frowning, can can that contribute to the biomechanical instances of aging? Or is it pretty much rooted in the genetics? That's an excellent question honestly that's a very why do you always ask so complicated questions honestly but um and right at the end (laughs) no but honestly if i if i think about your question um it is true if people always look angry for instance when my students give me a wrong answer i always look angry and um when people always look angry they have more frequently the skin in a wrinkled position and that has been shown clearly to result in the transition of dynamic facial lines to static facial lines. So that means they just look angry all the time, even though the muscle is not contracted, but the skin is already broken in and the crease is always visible. So this is kind of 
one component when looking angry. And the same thing happens when someone is hyper expressive with smiling, then this person has a lot of smile lines, not only around the periorbital region, but also in the mid face. And I do think that repetitive muscular actions can result in a change of skin if someone does not take care of the skin. But these days, I mean, as you said, there are many opportunities to take care of the skin and even to reduce the muscle tone with neuromodulators. So there are a lot of things that can be done to prevent this. But I think in the overall, in the grand scheme of things, um, I think it's important to understand the why. The why is always crucial to understand because then everybody's able to decode to see the bigger picture and not just to follow what others people are doing and disregarding the individual needs of every patient. So I think Facial biomechanics, which was the topic of today's um, episode, is really important to understand, to decode the face, and then to direct the treatments accordingly. And with this, we're coming already to an end of this episode. Pete, thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you, Sebastian. And um, guys, I will see you soon when we're going to discuss the other important topics about the face in this season of the Kodafana Anatomy podcast. I'm looking forward to hearing you again in the future. 